On the Empire Podcast this week, it's a spy double bill as Paul Feig drops in to talk about his new secret agent comedy, while one of his stars, Peter Serafinowicz, the man with the greatest voice in the biz, finally pops his pod cherry. All that and usual movie news and nonsense on the movie podcast that, go with me in this one, brought down Sepp Blatter. It did. Um, Allow me to explain. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt. Welcome to the Empire Podcast. And if you don't believe me about Empire's role in bringing down Sepp Blatter, consider this. He knew sooner or later the United Passions, the movie about FIFA, commissioned and paid for by FIFA and starring Tim Roth as Sepp Blatter, would get a UK release. He also knew that at some point we would review it on this show and he knew we would probably savage it. So, in order to avoid that, he stepped down thus ensuring that the movie will not be released and will never be savaged on the Empire podcast. Very clever, Sepp Blatter. Very clever indeed. The cleverest thing of all was setting up about 30 years' worth of corruption to facilitate a reason to have resigned. Always plan 10 steps ahead if you're mm. a Blatter. Joining me this week are my co-conspirators in FIFA's downfall, uh, two colleagues of such lethal cunning. After a two-week break, our geek queen has returned from what she claims to be a holiday, but what I really think you were checking up on your dragon army and consolidating your power, weren't you, Helen O'Hara? What? What? I have no dragon army. I mean, that's as ridiculous as suggesting that FIFA is corrupt. Come on, Chris. (laughs) Come on. Did you uh, see Game of Thrones last week? Listen, I'm, I'm just, I'm not going to comment mm. on my dragons okay. I, that I don't have. <laughs> I mean. I didn't see Game of Thrones, but there was a blinding episode of NCIS. Oh, uh, yeah. Season six that I caught up on. Uh, anyway, love Gibbs. Uh, Gibbs, Tony Donoso, they're all good. All of them, all great, great characters. Uh, we also have, joining us, our film fact fiend, a man who celebrated his birthday this week with, um, how would we describe this? Film-related ground of your favourite Whose Line Is It Anyway game, which is Party Quirks. Ding dong. It's Ali Plum. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Can you tell the listeners what you had to do? I had to guess what three people were, or pretending to be. Yeah. And one of the people was pretending to be somebody trying to avoid Mad Men spoilers. Mm -hmm. Another person was a different Avenger every 20 seconds. (laughs) And another person was Nux from Mad Max. Well, strictly speaking, it was one of Emerton Joe's war boys. Instead, it was Dan Jerling, the features editor, running up to me, pulling his skin of his face at my face and kicking a cardboard box at my legs. <laughs> Which I remember from a, from a scene in... Amazing. <laughs> yeah. In Fury Road. Did he at it's least amazing. say, what a lovely day? He did. He okay. did say so that. that's good. Yeah. He bellowed it. He also pointed at my crotch and said, that's my property. Did he? No. No, but he should have done. That was a, that was a fun game and happy birthday for this week. Thank you very much for my week of birthday. <laughs> it has become a birthday week for you, by the way. Uh, Whose Line Is Anyway is your favourite, one of your favourite shows? That is correct. And they have a live show, don't they? They're, they're, I don't know why we're plugging this, because we're going to... But they do, they, they're coming back, aren't they? There's a live show happening Yeah, that's soon. right. Yeah, my yeah. brother's bought me tickets, thank you, brother, to go and see it later this month. Mm-hmm. It costs approximately <laughs> an arm and a leg. It's know, ridiculous. For tickets. They'll be using that arm and a leg, obviously, for the props round. It's expensive, but it does have great proofs. Speaking of an arm and leg and yeah. live experiences, I went to see The Elephant Man last night with Ooh. Bradley Cooper. Mm. You went to see with Bradley Cooper? Wasn't yes. he meant to be on stage? He was meant to be, but he just decided to take the night he's, off. His yeah. understudy went up. <laughs> no, he's really good. I mean, like, he's pretty good, <laughs> but, like, he's really good on stage. No prosthetics involved whatsoever. Um, he just kind of does it all, you know, by turning himself around and in and, and everything else. He must do, like, all of the yoga mm. after the show each night. Um, but he's really impressive. 
Is this um, is this a surprise? I mean, it probably shouldn't have been, but I'm it, it kind of came as one. Yeah. Do you think yeah. there might be a movie version with him? <laughs> um, I think not. I think that one has been nailed. So speaking of the Elephant Man, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, it has now opened, as you know, in the UK, and uh, Nick Desemlian tweeted this last week. Uh, this is Quentin Letts, uh, who's a Daily Mail's theatre critic. Okay. And he wrote his first night review. And this is an actual quote from Quentin Letts, the theatre critic of the Daily Mail, the biggest, I believe, the biggest newspaper in Britain. Certainly, oh, the, certainly the most morally upright. Um, okay. I had not heard of Bradley Cooper. And having arrived at the theatre with my head full of other work, did not consult the programme until heading home. By then I was thinking, this young actor might well go places. <laughs> the programme told me, he's a three times Oscar nominee. <laughs> That's the greatest I mean, ever. God bless him for being focused on his art form and no other art forms. And also his other work. With other work going through my head, I had not come across as Bradley Cobbler. I was halfway through a good game of crossword. <laughs> and frankly, this elephant man was a distraction. <laughs> Can you keep it down now, down now on the stage, please? Unbelievable. Four across. <laughs> Eight letters. But I'm not even Quentin Letts. No. I'm Maud Guy. <laughs> right, we've sidetracked slightly, but yeah. Welcome to the Empire Film Podcast. I just wanted to let you know that that was a, a, a line in a review that someone had actually written. and um, In 2015. In 20, yeah. What year were you? Yeah, 2015. This Al <laughs> whilst a bit long in the tooth, could go somewhere. I'd never heard of this Robert De Niro. Upon Googling him, I discovered he has been in heat. Upon altavistering him, <laughs> yeah. I hopped onto Geocities and discovered he had been in a film. Um, do you think he knows what films are? Anyway, let's move on. Uh, we have questions. Right, here's a question from at Hulk's Thong. <laughs> I mean, okay. okay. I'm yeah. assuming that's in the sort of... No, some some states in the southern US use thongs to mean flip-flops. So I'm just going to assume that that means a flip-flop and we're going to leave it there and you're not going to contradict me. I am. No. What? Yes. So, sorry? It's, it's really confusing. It's South Africa too. Yeah, it's really confusing because I was with a, a teacher of a group of, of kids once and she kept to- talking about how annoying it was that all the girls were wearing thongs and how it was slowing them down. And I was like, wow, this is so inappropriate. And then it became clear she was talking about flip-flops. It just means a strip of fabric. That's all a thong is. It's like a, it's like a strip. Oh. So it could be a leather thong. That's your leather th- flip-flop. Yes. So, yes. yeah. I mean, wow. and, and you're not going to believe this, but in America, fanny mm-hmm. means something different. Yeah. Yes, it does. It, it it doesn't mean... It means... So, that's good. Here we go. Uh, right. Uh, the question from Hulk's Thong is, with the Stath reported to be... I don't know why I did that voice. With the Stath reported to be coming in to do the Layer Cake sequel instead of Daniel Craig... Viva la madness. When have character replacements improved the original character? I would say, now this is a long question on Twitter, but they, he sent it in two parts. Um, I'm assuming. I would say Maggie Gyllenhaal replacing Katie Holmes in The Dark Knight, a huge step up. Helen has her hand up uh, like it's school. Yes. <laughs> I just want to say before we actually tackle the question, that I'd first question of whether Rachel Dawes is really a character. <laughs> and second, I actually don't think it's a huge step up because there's no Rachel! character there. Rachel! Um, so, yeah. Oh. She's got a 
She's really tell just, me something well, about her apart from her job and her boyfriend. What's the What's the line that Wolf has? Uh, the Wolf, not Wolf in the Gladiators, but uh, Wolf. The Wolf has in Pulp Fiction. Just because you are a, no, just because you are a character doesn't mean you have character, which is all very postmodern and meta. But well, she certainly doesn't. But I'm not. I, yeah. I genuinely wouldn't necessarily concede the first part either. She. Um, she. She. Uh, she's. She's good at. Um, she's good at law. She's good at law. You're good at law. Sure. Anywho, um, she's good. She's good. She's good at um, Batman romancing. I think Don Cheadle was better than Not Terrence Howard. Good. If we're keeping to a yes. superhero theme, mm-hmm. Don Cheadle, Terrence Howard in a fight. Don Cheadle would win. <laughs> well, what's the old saying, Steven Soderbergh? Uh, if, you can put... if you could fire Terrence Howard, you fire Terrence oh. Howard. Absolutely. Yeah, I know that one. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Hey, in fairness, he is now on like the most popular show in the world ever. Yeah, uh, called Total Film. <laughs> so, uh, so you know, everybody's a winner here. But I would agree, Don Cheadle was a was a great piece of recasting there. He was a good piece of recasting. We, we don't we don't mention that on the podcast. What the famous Fox show? No, the Hot Dog. Total Total Film. Uh. We don't mention Total Film in the podcast. <laughs> I, I, he mentioned it once, but I think he got away with it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, any more? Any um, more for any more? Back to the Future. What? what uh, you casting mean, during filming? Well, so there are two, Eric aren't Saltz. there? Yeah. Mm. There's a couple. Actually, there are three now. I think about mm. it. Mm-hmm. Marty himself, Elizabeth Shue, and then you know his dad. It's all a bit complicated, there, isn't it? That's yeah. a very good point. Uh, yeah, Elizabeth Shue replaced Claudia Wells in the role of Jennifer, but she's the only one who really yes. had a proper character because obviously we never got to see Eric Stoltz as Marty McFly, yes, exactly. and it's oh, and uh, Chris McGlover's role is Jeffrey Wiseman. Curious because obviously there was a huge uh, legal case yeah. where he sued because they used essentially because they had so many prosthetics and mm. the way they shot it. It was a landmark case in terms of someone's physicality being an IP or a property that you can manipulate. Yeah, so that's a fun answer to your question. That's <laughs> no, good. It's good. We like. We like. I mean, stuff do do we count Hulk? Speaking of Hulk Thong, you know, obviously been recast twice. Uh, personally, I would I would probably rank them Ruffalo, Banner, Norton. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, obviously th- there were two recastings there. Would you? I mean, they're kind of well, reboots, though, in the same way that I wouldn't consider. Andrew Garfield to be a recasting of Tobey Maguire. I consider yeah. that a reboot of the whole thing. Well, yes, but Ruffalo is is obviously a recasting of uh, yes. Norton. Yes, down to the fact that obviously William Hurt is going to show up in Civil War. Sure. So, so it's clearly meant to be the same character. Yes, that one yeah. is. Yes. So that one works. James Bond's got about I think I counted it as seven different. What? Money Penny M Q, mm-hmm. James Bond himself, Felix. That's five. Mm-hmm. Oh, Blofeld, that's six. Mm-hmm. Who else has... In a weird twist, the same actress playing two different characters mm-hmm. whose name has totally escaped my mind, but Octopussy Maud and... Adams. Maud Adams, there you go. So I'm counting that as 007 different versions of, of swapping mm-hmm. characters. Yeah, and Joe Don Baker plays a bad guy in The Living Daylights and a good guy in Goldeneye and Tomorrow Never Dies. So yeah, that's interesting. Mm. That's um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, in most cases for me in the, in the Bond movies, the originals are the best. And uh, it's only now I think with this new generation of a new M and a new Money Penny and a new Q that we're and we're getting properly good actors as well. Naomi Harris, Ben Wishaw, people like that uh, to try and kind of 
establish their own footprints in that universe. The likes, you know, because Desmond Llewellyn, especially Lois Maxwell, they left huge footprints. Mm. Helen's obviously not in agreement. Of course, he, he yeah. watched three Bond films today. I'm, I'm, <laughs> oh, I'm I mean, way over here every morning, Chris. Every morning, some people sleep. I just watch Bond films. Mm. Well, it's easy to sleep through some of them. Uh, <laughs> the other thing about Bond is that often it's a legacy title. So M is that a recasting? No, oh, it's yeah, just the yeah. name of of that thing. It, John Cleese's character in the Die, 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 Die Another Day era mm-hmm. wasn't Q, was he? He was R. He was R, he but was then R. he became... got promoted. Yeah. There you go, yeah. Yeah. So, see, there's another twist. You know, he was in no way doing Desmond Llewellyn, either justice or doing him mm. uh, acting-wise. I guess Tom Hardy's doing the same thing now, isn't he, with... Mad Max. Max Rokotansky, yeah. Oh, yeah? yeah. You think Quentin Letts has heard of Tom Hardy? I think yes. Yes, from Gardner's World. <laughs> yes. Imagine my surprise. <laughs> he, has, he has been on stage in, in London, so probably. This is true. I remember looking at him on the MySpace, and there he was, doing the kissy duck face, and I went, I'll remember that, young man. Imagine my surprise when I got home and I googled this Tom Hardy, and I found that not only was he a star of stage and screen, but he'd also written a book far from the madding crowd. I mean, what was that about? I mean, he's several hundred years old. Blimey, you could have knocked me down with a feather. Anyway, <laughs> should we move on? Um, there are so um, many answers to this question. Yes, in terms oh, more, of more. The, the, re, more. the recastification. Give me more. You want more? I want more. Well, Tarzan, 12 of air. Mm-hmm. So mm. many. Okay. So many, many, many. What's interesting is when you get the direct DVD releases where, like Starship Troopers 3, people come back and it's, it's a bit odd that they were replaced beforehand. Think about it from Aladdin. It could be voice actors as well. Mm where we've talked about this many times on the podcast, but uh, Genie was played by Dan Castanella from <clears throat> The Simpsons. Let's say he's done other stuff, obviously. And then Robin Williams came back for the third one because of marketing and merchandising reasons, which is, again, another fun answer to this question. I was just, I just started to Google some of this stuff. And, uh, and I found a website. I won't name them and shame the website, but it was uh, 12 major roles that were recasted for the sequels. I know. Already we're off to a bad start. And uh, so they have, <laughs> at one point, they go, Cyclops. This role was originally for Jim Caviezel. When Caviezel had a scheduling conflict between this movie and another movie, not establishing the movies in question, he had to drop this role. So James Marsden was chosen to play this role. Now, that's not entirely true. And also, because <laughs> Jim Caviezel wasn't ever ever cast as Cyclops. Uh, what they've done here is they've taken a picture of Jim Caviezel and they've photoshopped um, some ruby quartz sunglasses onto his face to make it look as if he actually was Cyclops at one point. And they've done the same three down with uh, Dugray Scott. They've tried to make him look like Wolverine. Wow. Because he was he was Wolverine. So I watched Taken 3 on a plane. Mm, that's a bad idea. Well, it was a better idea than watching it in a cinema. Um, yeah, but weren't you worried that uh, Liam Neeson might drive a car into the plane? <laughs> no, I was okay with it. Um, although that was kind of amusing. But uh, Dugray Scott You're and Famke right. Janssen, finally together at last. But no, but Helen, don't you see? You've stumbled upon the answer to the question. Dugray Scott plays <gasps> Stu in Taken 3, right. a role made famous, made indelibly famous. so, by Sandra Barkley in the first movie. Oh now, my goodness. So, there you go. This is the answer. This is absolutely the answer. I, I really, really want to know why that role was recast. That would involve talking to the people who made it, which is probably beyond me <laughs> at the moment, but... Yeah, I really want to know why. Was it because they needed someone who was going to be a physical match for Big Liam? Or was it because Santa Barkley is too famous? 
now he's just he's he's just too big and he didn't want to yeah, he's up there with the bradley cooper he is let's talk about abe sapien from the hellboy films because oh. this is another interesting quirk where doug jones mm was the physical embodiment of the merman mm -hmm. uh, but it was voiced it was he was voiced by Frasier's very own David Hyde Pierce who was so impressed with how the character was was portrayed on screen that he refused to be part of the sequel in terms of doing his own voice and let Doug Jones do it himself mm -hmm. because Doug Jones does an amazing version of David Hyde Pierce's voice so no one noticed yeah so I think the best recasting was the same guy doing it <laughs> himself yeah and uh, did you see last night on Twitter, uh, Ron Perlman was calling for Hellboy 3? I bet he is. So let's make that happen. World. Yeah. Come I, on, world. I, I think Come uh, on. Guillermo, his dance card is full at the moment, isn't it? He's got Pacific Rim 2, Pac Rim 2. I Pac mean, when is it not full? I think yeah. Pac Rim would be really lifted by yeah. a crossover. By Hellboy. Yeah. <gasps> Hellboy in a massive Jaeger. With horns coming out of his head made of metal and death. So yeah. on board. Okay. Massive metal cigar. I'm on board. Uh, that's that question answered to our satisfaction, if not Hulk Thong's or indeed anyone else's satisfaction. Because we've got a lot to get through in this podcast uh, and not a lot of time. And because, I don't know if you guys heard, but Quentin Letts just came in, in the middle of that and just sort of, you know, wrecking the mic. Uh, we're going to do the question that we were going to do now next week. Uh, so apologies to at MetaFets, but your question will be heard on the podcast. Uh, okay. Uh, if you want to have your question read out uh, and ritually abused on the Empire podcast, then you can send it in to us via Twitter where we're at Empire Magazine. Use the hashtag Empire Podcast. Uh, we're on Facebook as Empire Magazine and you can email us as well, podcast at empireonline.com. Time now for our first guest and he is one of Britain's funniest actors, whether he's been hilarious in guest spots in the likes of Spaced and Sean Dead, or through his own sketch show, Beloved of this office, uh, or Twitter, where his PSQAs spawned a very funny book. He is, of course, Peter Serafinovich, the voice of Darth Maul in Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. I've been badgering him relentlessly to appear on the show since it began. He finally relented, funnily enough, coincidentally, in the week he has a movie to promote. That's kind of weird, but uh, <laughs> there you go. Uh, he is uh, very funny in Spy this week, Paul Feig's Spy, as an Italian secret agent called... Aldo. So we discussed that. Uh, we discussed Star Wars. We discussed Darth Maul. We discussed some of his great sketches on the Peter Serafinovich show. And we discussed um, plans for a Brian Butterfield sitcom. If you don't know Brian Butterfield, Google Brian Butterfield immediately and you will thank us later. Uh, he was talking to Ali and myself. Do enjoy. We're delighted to be joined on the Empire Podcast by a man I've been trying to get on this show for the last three years since, since it began. And I can't believe you're actually here, Peter Serafinovich. How are you? Unfortunately, Peter Serafinovich <laughs> couldn't make it today. I'm fine. No, no, I'm good. I don't know why it's taking me so long. I'm just, I'm disorganized. You uh, have a t-shirt with Chewie, we're home, mm -hmm. written in the Star Wars fonts. Brilliant. Yes. yes. By Dark Bunny t-shirts. Oh, Dark Bunny tees. Yeah. Yes, I they're, know those. I, I, I designed a, I, I designed a t-shirt. I've worn it. I, I, I got invited to the Star Trek, the first Star Trek premiere, you know, not the reboot, mm. um, uh, not the one from 1980. <laughs> <laughs> wow, An eight, this eight-year-old boy has been... <laughs> Peter, look, you've got this, have I? Um, anyway, the uh, I have got this shirt that says uh, Star Trek, but in the Star Wars font. Um, <sighs> Dangerous. Uh, yeah, it's... It, uh, oh, I love it, though. <laughs> You love seeing people. It shows faces. everybody what a clever, witty person I am, <laughs> and that I'm a geek. 
and that I... <laughs> These shirts are a warning for other people. Yeah. Oh, he's in the room. Yeah. <laughs> Character alert. Character alert. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Expect humour. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us a good one then. <laughs> uh, do, do you still wear it? This shirt? Uh, yeah, I, uh, well, I still own it. I, okay. <laughs> you know, it's not something, to be honest, it's not a good fit, really. Okay. It's, it's got quite a, it hasn't got a very generous neck hole. <laughs> and um, I find that as I get older, my neck gets bigger. I think maybe because I, I don't know why, maybe I, I, I mean, I do do a lot of neck exercises at the gym. Neck exercises, so, yeah. Yeah, neck exercises. <laughs> Nexus in the in the in the Nexus mm. is, is, is what the neck gym is called. Goodness me, I bet you're. <laughs> no, I'm sorry, the, the, <laughs> was it waited another three years. You should see my list of questions. The first one is ask about neck holes. About so neck it holes. came up already. Right. So we're fine. That's pretty much it. I'm aiming lower down the body, uh, obviously. But uh, you're here because you're in in uh, Spy, spy. The very funny Spy. Right. Uh, okay. So you, you've seen it then? I've seen it. I've also seen it. We've right. Okay. It. What ver- did you think? I thought it was humorous and I laughed. Great. <laughs> Brilliant. So I walked out yeah. happy. It was good. I walked out very, very happy indeed. Lovely. Uh, have you seen it? Yeah, I saw it. Uh, I saw it just recently, but I only saw it um, uh, with, uh, it was like a little screening mm. with like 10 people. Okay. And you want a big room for that movie, don't you? I think so. So it's, it's the premiere tonight. Am I allowed to say that? Is, 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 yeah, of course. Is, yeah. is, is there a, some kind of alternate timeline that we're all pretending that we're on? <laughs> no, we're, no. We, we're, we're fully aware this is a pre-recorded one, this one. Yeah, okay. it's all good. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's the premiere is tonight, so it'll be fun to watch it. I, I hope it goes down well with a big mm. room, you know, because that the, is a very uh, unique um, feeling of being at a premiere of something that it doesn't go down well. If, like, suddenly you're watching a, f- a film and you realise quite early on, this is not a good film at all. And I've got to be here for easily the next two hours <laughs> with no escape. I have to feign enjoyment and furthermore, I have to praise everybody involved afterwards, which is yeah. not bad, but uh, not a bad thing to do anyway. And we all do it in life. But like sometimes things are so bad, it's like it is a hard thing to do. Have you? <laughs> it's when- I, you know, I haven't been in that situation a lot. I haven't, but I have been in it a couple of times. Uh-huh. Does the smile reach the eyes when you say, "Well done," or "You've done it again"? Uh, <laughs> Can you get away with yeah. saying that? You've done it again. You've done it again. <laughs> yeah. Well, you are a human being. <laughs> uh, I like saying that was a film. Yeah, I mean, what uh, what a medium. Well done to the Moliere brothers <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Thomas Edison. <laughs> I mean... All the big names. I love that aspect. Uh, 16-9. <laughs> come on, it's the best. You know, two... Three, five to one. Come on, sixteen nine. And you and you went for color, which is a great choice. <laughs> really, top work. And look, D. I mean, look, it was two, two, three D's a fad. <laughs> two D. Speaking of premieres, I heard on the very very funny uh, Richard Herring podcast your story about the Phantom Menace premiere. 
uh, about how that was not as easy as you might think to get to. Mm. Yes. It should be easier here for Spy this time. You won't have to like <laughs> beg for a ticket. Or... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was quite a, quite a thing, you know. And also I was, you know, I was, uh, I was a lot younger and, you know, I, I, I was a relatively minor part of this thing. But also it was like I was kind of up front with it as well, you know. And you were... still now it's like uh, people say, wow, you know, you were Darth Maul. I think, well, yeah, I kind of... <laughs> You know that Ray Park had something to do with it as well. You know, and and uh, but but I remember being at that. You know, that was at the time, nineteen ninety nine, and uh, the um, it was the most exciting thing that had ever happened to me, or ever. Well, you know, I've had two kids since then, so okay. so, so yes, um, <laughs> uh, no. At the time, it was like, oh my god, there's a new Star Wars film. And I'm in it, right? Was how I felt. And also, you know, I'm such a fan of James Earl Jones. It was like, mm. and George Lucas said to me, you know, you're the new James Earl Jones. Terrible George Lucas impression. <laughs> but anyway, you know, with him, George Lucas, blah, 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 you know, it's great. And my name, you know, thinking I'm going to see my name in that funny blue yeah. uh, font, you know, yeah. at the end. And um, and then just at this, at this premiere in New York, you know, it was... If the thing started, I was like, oh my God, you know, and the just breathless with excitement, mm. everybody, you know, and, and, and then like five minutes in, just thinking, everybody sort of having the same, you could see heads like turning to each other and <laughs> question marks appearing above people's heads. And like, and I think I said in that on Richard's podcast, they said, you know, one of the, I think it's, you know, Ewan McGregor, who's, does a, a very game job of, you know, it's such a such a thing to do, you know. But he he does an admirable job, you know. And and he says, I've got a very bad feeling about this. And everyone practically went, Yeah, so have we. <laughs> so have we. Anyway, and we Jar Jar Binks, we hadn't seen him yet. Yeah. And uh, history was made. Yeah, such a such an odd um, odd experience, really. Odd experience, mm. but your uh, bits are the good bits. Yeah, uh, you know, I don't know. There's, Those, there's, yeah. I mean, for me, you know, as I said, you know, I think you and McGregor does, I, and especially, you know, the the the, the other two films are sort of, they're, they're kind of no better, really, you know, and incrementally, but like certainly, you and McGregor <laughs> is great in him, mm. you know, he, he's he's great, and I love Ian McDermott, you know, yeah. it's just. Mm. I've uh, I've got this this my son loves Star Wars. I've got this joke with him uh, that uh, where <laughs> that when do you either of you have kids? No, no. no. Um, my when sometimes they misbehave mm -hmm. and uh, and he, you know he will say, uh, but no, I'm allowed to watch TV tonight because blah blah blah. And I said, no, you're not. And he said, yes, I am. And then my joke was. I think you will find it is you who are mistaken <laughs> about a great many things. <laughs> and that's maybe my favourite line. I don't know, there's, there's a hundred favourite lines, but it's like choosing your favourite Beatles song, you know. But that, I mean, the relish that he gives that, and that's from Return of the Jedi, I think. But then he's playing the younger version of himself. Yeah. Like, years later, mm. it's a weird situation. And like every time that man is on the screen, it's like 
I mean, I've got goosebumps now, you know. There's a bit where he's talking to Hayden Christensen and trying to... They're off at the arena watching the uh, the weird waterworks oh, this, show. This <laughs> waterworks display. Yeah, who could forget that? This is the Darth Plagueis story, isn't it? That that one where he tries to, to uh, seduce him. To he the tries to seduce yeah. him. Yeah. And it's just like... It's so delicious what he does. And it's like, in any other, you know... It's like any other actor tried to do what he's doing. You'd be like, you're... You would be thrown off a vaudeville stage, you know? <laughs> Never mind a, a movie, but like... He is just oh my god! I'd He's love great. to, I'd love to, I, I'd love to work with him. I, I sort of have in a weird mm. non way. Have you ever done a Star Wars convention? Anything like that? Uh, no, no. I've been to. I went to uh, Comic Con uh-huh. um, about three years ago, three or four years ago. Weirdly, because of Look Around You, the series that I did with Robert Popper about 15 years ago, was being released on DVD in America. Wonderful. And they flew us over. It's, like, it's so weird uh, how this happened. It was brilliant. But like, we went over and we did like shows. We did publicity. And then they flew us to Comic-Con. We did a panel at Comic-Con. There was like a thousand people there. I mean, the DVD probably sold like 500 copies. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it probably... W- took a big chunk of their budget for that year doing that thing for us. But we were thrilled. I'm glad you brought it up because to say I've watched Look Around You is to use the word watched incorrectly. Uh, I've run out of eyeball space to watch that over and over and over. The number of times that, say I will on Facebook because I run the page, Empire's Facebook page, and I might write thanks, then something beginning with a vowel. Yeah. And I write, oh, sod it. Thanks, Ant-Man, Thant-Man. Brilliant. And then, of course... (laughs) The Facebook comments just light up. They're just unbelievably delighted. So right. They honestly, the love for that show is through the oh, roof. Well, that's 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 so nice, you know. And I don't know why it's such a bizarre, stupid thing that somehow connects with people a certain section of society. Science-loving seventies <laughs> videotapes. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, that how, demographic. How yeah. you knew people, that? Like, or people who shop in Next. I think it's the same. <laughs> No, they don't. There. They don't. It's a powerful lobby. No one does. They don't. While, while we're dancing down memory lane, uh, quite often at Empire, when we're feeling low, which is more often than you might think, mm. we uh, we put on some... I would, I would imagine it's quite a lot. Quite so a lot. it's even yeah. more than that, right? So it's okay. even more than that. Right, okay. it's, it's really bad. It's dangerously, dangerously high levels of, of lowdom. We put on some of your sketches. Oh. And one of the ones we, we put on quite a lot... I know what you're about to say. ...is the Ray Fiennes Inside the Actor's Studio oh, right. sketch. <laughs> now... You do Ray Fiennes as Leonard Rossiter. Yeah, well, I just do... It was... <laughs> I just do... Okay, Ray Fiennes reminds me sometimes of Leonard Rossiter. And once you've made that connection, I find it hard to divorce that from any performance that he's done. <laughs> he is a brilliant actor, and he is uh, a hugely attractive man, and uh, I think he's great. And and But I thought... I wanted it. It was it. It's like you know, whatever it was, two thousand and seven. Mm. I want to do an impression of Leonard Rossiter <laughs> on television in two thousand and seven. So that was how I came about it. <laughs> it. Oh, yes. And I think you know he knows it as well. He, he. I'm sure I saw him in a play, and like it was like obvious that he was apparently in Grand Budapest Hotel. He's yeah. kind of channeling a bit of 
Rigsby or uh, mm. Reggie Perrin, you know. Yeah. And I'm a, I was such a huge fan of of his as well, of Leonard Roster and. It's, you know. it's 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 ruined Ray Fines for me forever. Right, uh, but in a good way because I never made that connection until I saw that sketch, and then I watched Coriolanus, which is really dark and quite violent, and all I could see was Rigsby all the way through. I think you ruined quite a lot of uh, very cheap Iceland-powered uh, buffets, <laughs> and I say this because we have this thing called a tiny food party. Some friends of mine and they have this tiny food party and you have to bring food and it all has to be absolutely tiny. And every year someone brings something they call pork cylinders. Ah, right, okay. And they think they're the funniest guy ever and I still laugh. I still laugh at the guy who comes up with the Butterfield diet and just right. distributes it to everyone and does the mm. voice. You've, you've infected people with this. Thanks, man. It's a I compliment. Mean, that's, uh, you know, that's Brian Butterfield's character that I did on my sketch show and... Uh, mainly I wrote it, came up with it with uh, my brother James. Mm. And like, I'm just thinking of him now because he, that that renaming things joke, uh, <laughs> that was mainly him. That was his, oh, that's yeah. like his idea. And once you get into it, it's such a, it's such a fun thing to do, you know. And, uh, uh, but yeah, I, uh, I, I, I love that. And, and we're, you know, we're trying to do the, we've, We've written, along with these other writers, the Dawson brothers, who've written, uh, who are brilliant writers, who wrote on, on our sketch show and have written for, uh, like, everybody uh, comedy-wise. We've written a, a sitcom, Brian Butterfield's sitcom. We just haven't been able to get it away, really, mm. this this last, like, couple of years, for some reason. But we will, at some point. Yeah, here's to that. Yeah, absolutely. Can you say yeah. anything any more about it at the moment? Or is, uh, is there a premise? It's... Um, the premise is, it's like, well, the, the, the show that we wrote uh, is like, it's an audience sitcom. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, it's an audience and it's like on, in a studio and it's Brian in his office and each week he is, he's on the verge of bankruptcy each week and he's got, he, he's got uh, like a young, like uh, work experience mm -hmm. guy working with him and he's got his secretary who's like very old fashioned and is with, has been with him clearly for years and years and years. And is quite posh and obviously doesn't need the money. It's like, why is she, I don't know, why is she with him? And But they're like this sort of little family. And each week they, uh, they're, they're, you know, it, if you remember from the sketches, Brian's office always looks like it's been ransacked. And mm -hmm. that particular aspect is based on a, uh, an accountant that I used to have whose office uh, was looked worse than what yeah. Brian's looked like in those <laughs> sketches. But like each week, Brian is doing uh, another business, desperately trying to stay afloat. So, you know, and that was another fun thing. We've, ri we've written like loads of episodes. You know, there's one where he's uh, planning uh, a wedding planner. There's one where he's, um, he runs an airport taxis business and ends up being mistaken for a pilot and gets flies the plane and blah 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 blah. so it's like uh you know it, that that kind of thing you know you know david bradley from game of thrones mm -hmm. he's such a brilliant actor he's really funny as well uh wanted him to be we wrote a part for him that was like he's the owner of the industrial estate that brian's office is on and he's like brian's rival and his love rival for the secretary. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I just like the idea of seeing of just that, Butterfield and David Bradley, you know. 
<laughs> we're sold. <laughs> yeah. It's been a pleasure, man. Thank you so much for coming in. And uh, don't it's make it three years me. before the next time. No, I yeah, won't. Yeah. I won't. Right. Well, it will we'll be much down. longer. Yeah. <laughs> Five years next time. Bye too. Brilliant. Peter, thanks uh, so much. Thank you, guys. Cheers. Thanks. Lovely guy. Don't make it three years next time. Uh, before coming back into the pod booth, we got lots more questions for him. All right, should we talk about some movie news? Yes. 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 Let's do the movie news. Movie news klaxon. Uh, the big news, and this hit last night, is confirmation that James Wan, uh, who is, I think, any second now, uh, the director of the third biggest film of all time, Furious uh, 7. I know, right? What happened? <laughs> Up there with Jim Cameron with the number one and two spot for, of course, Titanic and Avatar. Yeah. Bigger than the Avengers. Bigger than the Avengers. Yeah. Bananas. And, and possibly going to beat Avengers Age of Ultron, which is uh, which is gaining mm. slowly, like like an asthmatic ant with some heavy shopping, as they say, and go, <gasps> come on, come back, come back. Uh, but yeah, at the moment, uh, Furious 7 is the number three film of all time. So, with that power... Comes great responsibility. <laughs> it really does. And he can do anything he wants. And what he wants to do, and I'm really admiring for this, actually, is The Conjuring 2. He's doing The Conjuring 2. He's about to start shooting in that, and that's all very good. You know, He's a horror guy at, at heart. That's great. Not just The Conjuring 2. The Conjuring 2 Enfield Poltergeist. The Enfield Poltergeist. Based on the same events Mm -hmm. that inspired the recent Sky show, The Enfield Haunting. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yes. James Horden gets attacked by a spooky teapot. It's it's hilarious. Hijinks ensue. Uh, Yeah, it's the same thing. Mm -hmm. And of course, the same inspiration being there's a house in Enfield. Yes. It's haunted. But this house in Enfield doesn't have Timothy Spall and McFadden going to it. It has Fira Farmiga and Patrick Wilson going to it. So Totally different. Totally different. But, but <laughs> apart from that, what's he yes, doing next? Sorry, yes. Um, um, side, side track, sorry. We're a bit unfocused today, aren't we? Uh, Shut up. Aquaman. Aquaman? Aquaman. Wow. Um, so he, uh, he is signed on officially to direct Aquaman. Yes. The uh, DC comic superhero, uh, fishy, fishy superhero. Yes, it's uh, essentially Stingray, but with... Scaly legs. Essentially, yeah. Yep. Captain Birdseye in a, in a Okay, so thong. this is... <laughs> I don't think he's wearing a thong. Hog thong. Um, maybe he is, I don't know. It is, of course, Jason Momoa, who we'll see for the first time in Batman v Superman, colon, Dawn of Justice, next year. Mm-hmm. I can never say that enough. Um, we're going to end up liking it, you know, if we keep... If we keep making fun True. of the title, I, I, I'm, I'm getting there. It's, I'm really? Stockholm, I'm Stockholm syndrome in that title. <laughs> <laughs> I really am. It's, um, but just imagine if you go and see it and you pay to see it. Yeah. You know, please say that. Please say two tickets for Batman v Superman: colon, Dawn of Justice. Please. Oh, it'll be a glorious day. Anyway, so Jason Momoa has already been cast. We've already seen the pictures of him heavily tattooed, wearing what looks like, quite frankly, inadequate amounts of armor. I mean, <laughs> either go with the armor or don't, dude. But like one shoulder buckler ain't gonna ain't gonna cut it. Um, anyway, uh, he looks he looks dark. He looks brooding. He looks uh, like a serious person to be reckoned with, and not like Adrian Grenier in uh, Entourage, who of course fictionally played Aquaman as well. Um, I mean, it, it's, there's kind of a, a beautiful poetry to this because obviously in, in that whole story thread you had James Cameron directing Aquaman. Uh, here we have the next highest grossing film director oh of all God. time directing Aquaman. There is there is some kind of symmetry here. Entourage may have powers that we never credited it with. <laughs> but I think this is a good thing because I think James Wan, you know, yes, he came out through horror and, and he loves that and he's always proclaimed his love for that. But he's also proclaimed that he wanted to do more and made it clear that he's really, really capable of more. 
Um, and so I think he can do whatever the heck he wants right now. So, In case yeah. you're wondering... You know, this, is, this is giving me a bit of hope for this. I, I agree. There's a certain amount of hope to this. There could be something here. It's the least likely, for me, superhero to ever be made into a film. But here it is, being made into a film. And this is given Ant-Man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But just to add a little addendum to your point about Entourage, in the first three days in the fictional universe of Entourage, James Cameron's Aquaman made mm-hmm. $116 <clears throat> million. Dollars. Okay. Yeah. That seems like chicken feed now. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? It just seemed like, oh, really? Is that, is that what you want then? But, you know, when you've directed Furious 7. <laughs> but do you think that Aquaman, this Aquaman, the real-life Aquaman, will match it? Because if it doesn't, it's going to feel like a bit of a blunder. <laughs> well, fingers crossed. This is, I mean, this isn't due until 2018. So yes. you've got two more years of inflation to help you towards oh, that goal. Goodness. Plus you know. two more years of other movies in which are constantly going, hey, have, has anyone seen Aquaman? And then audiences go, hey, oh, I like this Aquaman. I like the sound of him. I want to see more of him. Yeah. Uh, that's, I dropped that's my plan. diamond uh, necklace into the sea. Could there be a fish man to help me? And then and he goes, goes, please can Jason Momoa's lines all be... Sounds like it's just subtitled. <laughs> he doesn't I, like. I'm just looking at his face in that poster now. He doesn't look like he's amused by that, Chris. In fact, he looks really angry with you, Chris. We shall see. This is um, anything Helen and I say about this movie will be tainted with our Marvel bias. Marvel. Um, but yeah, I, I, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. This is like Namor, the Submariner, the Marvel equivalent. Um, Who's also lame, like in the in the extraordinarily. I mean, just stupid. Uh, <laughs> and you know, it, it's a very very difficult. Both are very very difficult characters to get right. Um, but uh, yeah. I don't know. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. James Wan is a very, very talented filmmaker, I think. Uh, and uh, more power to his elbow, I say. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we don't want these movies to be bad. We want these movies to be good because we like good movies. And that would be, to not like good movies would be to be stupid. Right. I think we've dealt with that satisfactorily. Uh, Sister Act remake. Uh, okay, I've got to take this one. Please. Yeah, <laughs> Please. Um, first of all, as someone who you know went to Catholic school, and second of all, as someone who who suffers an actual disorder, which means that I always watch Sister Act or Sister Act 2 back in the habit if they are on TV. It doesn't matter at what point I, I switch over and see that they're on. I have to watch until the end. Um, so my initial reaction is, why would you need to remake it? It is already perfect in every possible way. Um, but of course... They're doing it anyway, um, because that is what they do. So there is some confusion as to whether this is some kind of, you know, next generation sister act story with a kind of passing of the torch by Whoopi Goldberg. Oh, she could Um, be like the old lady, couldn't she? Yeah, she could be like, uh, I don't know, the the person who comes to counsel the new person in witness protection about being in witness protection. Or maybe this one will be in a monastery. Who knows? Am I making this up? Yeah. I haven't seen any of these. Well, I've seen sister act. I saw sister act at the cinema, weirdly enough. I've also seen it on through. stage. Really? Yeah. Was Quentin Letts there? <laughs> he may well have I've been. not heard of this Whoopi Goldberg. I, I, I saw Sister Act the cinema because I was going like Harvey Keitel completist, obviously. Obviously. Um, but uh, correct me if I'm wrong, is Maggie Smith Yeah, she was Mother films? Superior, yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> What's going on? And she's very sweet in it. And actually, okay, in, cool. in, in our news story about this, um, uh, James White suggests that we might want a, a prequel, an origin story, Mother Smith, M- Mother Superior Origins. Um, and I'll be honest, it has a certain appeal, but I don't think that's the way they're going. I'm pretty sure they're sticking with the formula. Right. New idea, okay. Okay. Hot, off, hot on the heels of, of Ghostbusters 3. Brother Act. Yeah. Ooh. 
Well, as you say, it's in a monastery, mm-hmm. and it's all a bunch a bunch of bald hat wearing uncly men. Right, um, I like that. I think tonsure is the traditional term mm. for their hair. I've got an idea for it. I've got an idea that could fit into this universe. Uh-huh. So it's two criminals, right? And they pull off a heist, and then they have to stash the loot. So they go into a monastery uh, a and they disguise themselves as nuns, and they go on the run. Is this just nuns on the run? I've not heard of this nuns on the run. Imagine my surprise when I got home and they googled it. Monks on the lab. <laughs> um, I mean, listen. If the if the tunes are great, I'll probably forgive them. So you know. Do you I think guess. this is off the back of Pitch Perfect? They can see the success of an all-female singing and dancing, but also with a bit of drama and yeah. fun, you know what? lively that's, characters. That's not beyond the realm of possibility. And yeah. the second one, while not obviously nearly as good a film, and, and you know that's relative to the first one even, mm. it's not as good a film, but it still has some cracking tunes. It also has a young Lauren Hill, um, who is absolutely fantastic, actually, and... Uh, well, she sings absolutely fantastically anyway, um, mm. as the sort of troubled young teenager who, who just wants to get involved in the, in the school choir. Jennifer Love Hewitt is in that one, yes, but she's uh, um, barely in it, to be honest. Okay. Uh, but it's, you know, and it has a, a fantastic performance of uh, Joyful Joyful at the end, which incorporates rap and enormous dungarees. So, I mean, who doesn't want to see that? Nungarees, they're called. Oh, <laughs> my mistake. Sorry, all these puns. Pungaries. Bit, <laughs> bit, bit, bit of a force of habit. I thought this was interesting that uh, Sony, uh, I didn't know this actually, the, the rights to Bond elapse after Spectre. The distribution and rights. The distribution rights. Yeah. Uh, Eon have the rights in perpetuity. With That's, MGM, right? Yeah. And so the distribution rights to Bond, it's not just the distribution rights, obviously, they pony up the, the budget as well. So, uh, So after Spectre, Sony may not have a bond anymore. So there's going to be like a big old bidding war. And Sony is in dire need to keep everything it's got in terms of the big IP, big franchise, big properties, as they say, because it's got Spider-Man, it's Mm -hmm. got 22 Jump Street, Mm -hmm. it's got Men in Black, Mm -hmm. and can you think of any others that are really big hitters from Sony? Not that many, is all I'm saying. Just in a casual pub conversation type way, not that many. Mm. Bond is its bloody massive gun. The trouble is, is that Warners are kind of sneaking around. Well, it's not just Warners. I mean, it, you know, this will be coveted by everybody in Hollywood. Not uh, only of it is it like the crown jewel in terms of prestige, mm-hmm. but it also makes truckloads of cash. Mm-hmm. Sweet, sweet money, which studios like. Proven staying power, I think it's fair to say as well. Um, God, if, if Disney get this, they'll have everything. They will have everything. So... Imagine, yeah, let the games begin. Yes, imagine that. But then again, if you're Eon, do you want to go to a studio that will give you focus and will spend all their time, or at least most of their time, on you? Or do you go to a studio where you're just one of many things that the studio has? Uh, but then again, I, I, I've said this before in the podcast, I would not be at all surprised to see a Bond shared universe begin at some point you know, prequels and spin-offs and origin tales and all sorts of stuff. Um, money is there to be had in this thing at the moment. Shared universes are all the rage these days. We're we're we're, we're living in an Empire podcast, shared universe ourselves. Um, and, you know, a Bond movie comes out at the moment every three years. Now, that's, uh, you know, if you're, if you're a studio bean counter, you're going, well, you know, there's three years where we're not 
actually making any money and we could be making money so why don't you do a money penny movie and you know and so on and so forth i wouldn't be surprised at all if if they move from sony uh, a pitch up at disney warner brothers wherever that we'll see something along those lines happen soon interesting and of course the next one's bond 25 as well so they'll want a studio that'll make a big splash around that one then again do you stay with the studio that turned Bond into a billion-dollar property? Personally, not that it's my choice to make, I'd stick with Sony because why ruin a good thing? And yeah. as you say, you need, you know, you need some need some attention. Mm. Give Bond, give Bond some love. I mean, he gets plenty of love. He gets a lot of love. Uh, yeah. I do think he needs love. He'll he does. be fine. Give he can, Bond he some can love. He sort love out for himself. Thank yeah. you very much. A slightly potentially amazing thing is mm-hmm. that The Rock may star in a remake or redo of Big Trouble in Little China. The Rock. Big trouble in Little China. The Rock. <laughs> I should be sceptical. You know, we try to maintain some degree of sceptability when... Sceptability? Sceptability, yep. Ske- is that Shut a word? Up. I'm very sceptical of, nope. uh, of that <laughs> as a I word. I it often in my articles. <laughs> yes. Imagine my surprise. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's just it's an interesting idea. I am, I am intrigued. I mean, Jack Burton was always a slightly comical character. He's not he looks like an action hero. He's not really an action hero. He's actually a comedy hero, I think. And and actually I think the same is true of, of Dwayne Johnson. Mm-hmm. Um, was it the Shiznit was arguing earlier this week that Dwayne Johnson is not an action hero. He is a he is a comedian, he's an actor. But he's yes. at his best when he is not being an action hero. And I think there's something to be said for that and I think something like this is actually a really, really perfect role for him. Um, mm-hmm. So I am immediately intrigued and inclined to be warmly disposed. In case people this. don't know what Big Trouble in Little China is, That's or indeed who Jack Burton is. Uh, Jack Burton was, of course, yes, played originally by Kurt Russell, who you know The Rock has presumably just been hanging out with mm-hmm. on Furious 7. But he, he was... Oh, he's they never a, shared a scene, did they? They didn't, but mm. let's assume that they hung out at the premiere. Um uh, he was a trucker who got involved in some shenanigans in Little China. In was it San Francisco, New York? San Francisco. San Francisco, um, and had to save the green-eyed Kim Cattrall from the clutches <laughs> of an ancient warlord. Um, it's ridiculous. It's really, really stupid. Yes. Um, but it it's very affectionately regarded by fans, including I think ourselves. Uh, I am I no, I'm not a, I'm no. not a fan. I'm not a fan of Big Trouble in Little China. But uh, and but I'm a, you love I love John Carpenter and I love Kurt Russell. <gasps> um, but no, I think that film has its moments. It does, but they are few and far between. It is. I mean, it is immensely stupid. So that's another thing. They're not. It's not like they're remaking the thing anymore. They've done that. Let's forget it and move on. They're remaking Big Trouble in Little China, which has a lot more room for improvement. It does. It does have a lot more room. But some, I know that that film is beloved of a great many people. Uh, I rewatched it again recently, and uh, I, I didn't. It didn't. It doesn't quite work for me. It doesn't Never quite rewatch it because I did that, and it, it, it suffered as well. But it's I still, like, you know, have it, a lot of affection for it. It made me terrified to rewatch The Golden Child, so I haven't done that. Oh no, The Golden Child stands up. I doubt that very much. <laughs> so, uh, Ali, do you have uh, taken this one? Do you like old Jack Burton? It's all in the reflexes, etc., etc. I'm worried about the Fu Manchu-ishness of it. Is uh-huh. this an mm. acceptable thing to be doing? Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, the, for me, the best thing to come out of um, Big Trouble in Little China uh, was uh, Dennis Dunn and Victor Wong, who uh, Carpenter Len, who are fantastic as you know his sort of Jack Burton's. Uh, sidekicks and, and allies in that movie uh, because uh, Carpenter then used him again in Prince of Darkness, his last great film, just the year after. Tangled TV show. Yes. Exciting. Same voice cast back. Yes. And really? Yeah. Including um, 
Mike, Mike, Mandy, Mandy Moore, Moore. Yeah. yeah, Zachary Levy. Yeah, they're the ones. Um, and from the looks of things, am I right in saying that it's going to be hand-drawn? I just saw the poster was hand-drawn and I maybe have joined dots. Anyway, it's happening in an animated form. Obviously, as you can tell, I'm not fully up to date with all the facts. Mm. But it's one of those ideas where you go, that's actually, that's actually great. Yeah. I'm, I'm behind that. Yeah. It's a bit overshadowed by Frozen as a, as a franchise and they couldn't do a sequel, I would have thought, now. Uh, because people go, why are you wasting your time on Tangle 2 when mm. we can get more Frozen give us more bloody Frozen? <laughs> Uh, yeah, so, great idea. It's an interesting one, this. Uh, you know, they, they're setting it after the events of the of the first film, but before the marriage that we know is supposed to happen, because they talked about it at the end of the first film, between Flynn Rider, Levy's character, and uh, Rapunzel, obviously Mandy Moore's character. Um, so she's presumably not going to have her magic hair anymore, so you might have a little bit of a shortage of magic. Um, but you don't have them as a firmly established couple, which... I actually think is a little bit of a disappointment. I think it would be cool to have more stories where the couple are just solid, they're together, everything's done, they're married, fine, brilliant, now they still have adventures. I think that would be kind of cool. But um, but yeah, they're just so charming together. They're such nice characters together. I think this will be quite cool. Actually. Flynn Rider. Flynn Rider. The one Disney hero who's as cute as Prince Eric. Hey, speaking of The Little Mermaid... <laughs> Okay. We're back to Aquaman now, aren't we? (laughs) Kind of are. Uh, Sofia Coppola was down to do a live-action version of The Little Mermaid for Universal, or for working title, Mm -hmm. um, and has dropped out, following the example of Joe Wright, who also was at one point considering the job, lined up for it, and also moved on. Mm -hmm. Um, So she was uh, reportedly, you know, linked with this back in March and has now decided not to do it. Um, Basically, blah, blah, creative differences um, again. But... uh, but yeah, so that that project is back in limbo. We don't know what will happen with it, but um, but it won't be a Coppola film. She's editing um, a Christmas special. Have you heard about this? Featuring yes. Bill Murray's Lost in Translation character. It's a very Murray Christmas, I believe it's, it's, it's called. I mean, amazing. Yeah. So, um, but apart from that, we, we don't know what she, she'll be doing instead of instead of Little Mermaid. Yeah, that's it. That's, uh, that's, yeah. See what happens. Disney but, um, haven't got one on the on the boil, have they? Because they seem to be trying to put their probably flag in the ground. Well, if you know, this sort of live action animation shared, it's not a shared universe, but mm. this you know, sort of franchise that they they've got uh, added another one this week. It's where they've turned or they've they've um, they've announced plans to turn a sequence from Fantasia, Night on Bald Mountain, Ooh. that that scary. Yes. Yeah. Ooh, Ooh, with the big demon on big, top of yeah. the mountain. Ooh, scary. Uh, that's going to be turned potentially into a movie, and uh, you can tell it's going to be good because they've got the writers of Dracula Untold on it. Uh, Matt Sazama and Burke Sharpless. Um, I watched Burke that on the plane Sharpless. as well. Yeah. Huh. Well, there's a thing that's going to happen. That's That's definitely happening. Um, so yeah, good. Exciting. Not not definitely happening or definitely not happening is uh, is Tron Three, um, which I think we'd all been hungering for, <laughs> uh, and it and it did look like it was moving forward only a few weeks ago, uh, but apparently it is not. Yes, it is not happening. Uh, apparently, as a result of the fact uh, uh, that Tomorrowland didn't do too well at the box office, and so uh, Disney got a little bit. This is all scuttled, but but yeah. got a little bit concerned about things that aren't sure things. So their roster at the moment is a lot of sure things. So you're you know, even if many people 
saw Alice in Wonderland and didn't entirely like it, it still made a billion dollars at the box office. So you're going to go see the sequel, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. Five, you're going to go see that. If only to see whether Barnaby Joyce, Australia's, uh, <laughs> I believe, culture minister pops up or is it the agriculture, agriculture. agriculture minister? I knew there was culture in there somewhere. Pops up and tries to kick Johnny Depp's dogs. You're going to go see all the Marvel stuff. You're going to go see the live action Beauty and the Beast. You're going to go see the Pixar stuff. This is all, at least, you know, it's all sheer stuff. Um, but uh, after Tomorrowland, Tron 3 was not a sure thing. And <laughs> did you see the tweet that Olivia Wilde did this week? She's basically going, calm down, Tron fans. You know, it's yeah, it's fine. Essentially, it means I won't have to eat seaweed uh, soup and tofu dust for six months to squeeze into a tight leather suit. So, you know, she's all right with it. <laughs> and I always had the feeling as well that the likes of, you know, Olivia Wilde and Garrett Hedlund might might, might secretly have moved on to other projects. They might have thought that they they, they could have put away that side of their careers. And It and must now, be a real shitter to have for like four months of your life carved out. And now everyone's well, like, well, right, summer holiday, or I just go to the local job centre. I mean, or I do another film that I want to do. Hope, well, hopefully it's still going. It's yeah. available. I can yeah. imagine they're just going, well, look, I'm sorry, I've got to turn all this stuff down. And suddenly, like, you know, when I turned it down, yeah. I was lying. Uh, yeah. Can I please be in this movie? Thanks. I mean, you know what you're getting into, I guess, when you sign for these, these you know, big multi-picture contracts. Uh, you know, you know that at some point someone's going to tap you on the shoulder and go, right, in 2017... You can't do that indie film you're going to do because you're going to be spending eight months doing this massive behemoth thing that, you know... But, you, you know, you kind of knew that. But with something like a Tron, where it comes out and it doesn't do that well and the critics don't really like it that much, you must think, well, that's done. That's done and dusted. I'm never going to get the call. Bring, bring, oh, what's this? Oh, oh hey! Oh, what? Oh, well, mm. great. Yeah, I'm very excited about that. And then you have to call the indie, the indie guy that you, you know, you're you working with and you go, mm, something's come up. So that must be frustrating from an actor's point of view. Unless, of course, they really are truly massively into it and excited. And, but I don't know. I'm maybe I'm reading between the lines of that tweet, but I didn't quite get that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so Tron 3 is Tron a goner. Uh, speaking of a goner, uh, this week I haven't seen it because I, I don't know how it works over here, but Community came to an end, uh, possibly came to an end. And, There's uh, still a movie, correct? Damn it's it. still maybe a movie. Six seasons it has the six seasons part has been fulfilled now, and a movie has to be fulfilled as well. But it came to an end, and Joel McHale has uh, uh, moved on already. Look at him, how fickle he's gone to sign up for the X Files reboot, uh, yes. re- revival, revival. He's a good suit wearer. <laughs> he is so great. Uh, I have no idea what the context is in terms of what his character will be, and they won't announce that until much, much later. But well, they yeah. said he's an uh, rather mysteriously he's an internet news anchor. Yeah, a bit like uh, his obviously his work on the soup. Mm-hmm. I guess yeah. So presumably that's kind of where they're coming from. Maybe he's like an internet conspiracy show mm. news anchor, like oh aliens or something. But that would make him more of a crackpot than he usually plays. So who knows? Maybe he could do crackpot. Who knows? I'm I, sure he could. I think uh, Yahoo. I say I think I know Yahoo are already pushing some numbers around a piece of paper trying to work out whether justifying a seventh season of Community mm. would work. I have now watched them all up to the very end. I've oh. been a flag waver of this show for a long time. But having watched the documentary Harmontown and listened to the Harmontown podcasts, mm-hmm. I'm a fully signed up member of Team Harmon, right? Yes. I am not a me- I'm not the mayor of Harmontown, obviously, that's Dan. You're the I, treasurer. I, yeah, I like to think of myself as maybe the bursar yeah. uh, or something. I just think, let's all just go home. We've all had a few drinks. We've all had a great time. Six seasons, perfectly respectable. Let's just go home and maybe play Scrabble 
or have a nap. Hang on, let's just maybe... I mean, I feel like we're rushing into this. Let's maybe take some time. <laughs> take some time, have a breather, recharge the old creative batteries and give me my damn movie. Well, there's that. If the movie happens, I'm back on board. As it is... And bearing, bearing in mind that there have been a couple of new characters in the new Yahoo season, because it went normal season, normal season, normal season. Dan Harmon got fired. Dan Harmon came back with an assistant that kind of did half it for him. Uh, this season on Yahoo. Mm-hmm. And it's been tumultuous. And the best episodes were a long time ago. There have been some great episodes recently. In the final TV season, there was a great Don't Touch the Lava, like uh, when they say goodbye to a few characters then. Mm-hmm. That was a good episode. But really... They're doing great stuff with what they've got, but what they've got is pretty limited. Several characters have left. Yeah. And there's only so many ways that you can keep these, these quote, 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 unquote, young people in yeah. a community college. They've currently set it up around how they're the, the focus group or the, or the team that help fix the, the community's problems because essentially the, uh, the, the dean is terrible at his job. But I love it. I have loved it. I always will love it. But how, how are you watching it? I just go online and go to Yahoo and watch it. I didn't think it was available in this country. Simple as that. I will catch up. Do so. Time now for our last guest. Uh, we've had one of the stars of Spy, and now we're going to talk to his writer-director, Paul Feig. Uh, over the last few years, has become Hollywood's go-to guy for allowing funny ladies to strut their funky stuff on the big screen and the likes of Bridesmaids and The Heat. And now he's reteaming once again with Melissa McCarthy uh, for Spy, in which she plays an unlikely secret agent opposite Jason Statham, Jude Law, Rose Byrne, uh, and as we heard earlier on, Peter Serafinowicz. Uh, Mr. Feig, and it is Feig, not Feig, as in Kevin Feige, it's Feig, uh, came in last week dressed as ever in a glorious three-piece suit uh, to the pub booth last week to talk to me, and he talked to me about being dapper, he talked to me about working with Liz McCarthy, about making uh, the Stath funny, which is not a surprise to us, is it, guys? Or to him, indeed. And, of course, a little bit about Ghostbusters, his next movie. Uh, enjoy. Delighted to be joined on the Emperor Podcast by Mr. Paul Feig, the director of Spy. Hello, sir. How are you? Good, Chris. How are you? I am not too bad. Thank you Excellent. for asking. Uh, it's all good. And thanks for coming in. Thank- oh, thanks for having <laughs> that me. Was it. That was Well, that was great. Yeah. <laughs> off, to, off to the bar we go. So- <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, but thank you, Empire, for all the support you've given me over the years. It's true. And then thank you for the, the very, very nice uh, review you just gave us of Spy. I and thank you it. for the envelope of cash you gave me just before the uh, the interview started. How are you going to spend it? <laughs> well, on a suit, clearly, because y- you, better. you are outstripping me in the <laughs> sartorial elegance department. You, you look very good, sir. You I, look very you're, good. you're a liar. Uh, <laughs> frankly, I don't want to insult you by calling you that, but I'm wearing a tatty blazer, uh, a John Boyega t-shirt, which is, which is very nice as yeah. far as it goes, but you you, sir, you are wearing... What are you wearing today? Uh, Today I'm wearing Ralph Lauren Purple Label. That is not bad. Yes, that's how we roll. You have jam-packed spy with Brits. Yes. If you throw, uh, if you throw a, uh, a stone, not that I would recommend to do it, you doing it in a in a crowded theater, yeah, in a screening of Spy, you will hit a Brit, um, which is amazing. So you've got obviously Miranda Hard, you've mm-hmm. got Peter Serafinovich, who was in this very booth just yesterday. Oh, um, my goodness! You've got Jude He's a Law, man. Yes, Jude, oh my absolutely, God. and uh, and the Stath. Yes, the Stath has landed. <laughs> <laughs> he is Statham is a god that walks among us. That's all I can say. <laughs> he is the great. I mean that whole the whole cast is is so fun. But I really I'm always trying to figure out how to get more Brits in into my movies because there's so many British comedians and actors that I love. Mm. But I need it to kind of fit organically in, into the into the show. I mean you know bridesmaids we had uh, you know we had the the uh, the wonderful Irishman uh, you know um, uh, of Chris course. Chris yeah. and and and, uh, and people hung up. They were always kind of like, why 
why is why is there an Irish cop? It's like, well, first, it's an Irish cop, which, you know, <laughs> movies are filled <laughs> in the past with Irish cops, but... <laughs> People hang up on it, but so with the, so with the spy movie, is like, it makes perfect sense. Like, even though we're, you know, in, in the U.S., uh, yeah. you know, there's a couple of Brits working for the CIA, which nobody has really brought up yet that <laughs> how incongruous that is. But I'd say they're, they're on loan from MI6, basically. Yeah, it's an exchange program. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. But the, but the state doing comedy is is actually not something that he's a stranger to, if you've, if you've seen the Crank movies. Well, that's exactly it. And everybody's saying to me, like, oh, my God, how'd you know he was funny? It's like, because I saw Crank, and he's hilarious. So, you know, it, but... Just you know, this is the first time he's kind of done, I guess, like a flat-out comedy. So uh, it, it was really nice of him to take a take a chance. Absolutely, but do, even so, having seen how funny he can be in the past, mm-hmm. uh, the stuff you give him to do here in this movie, the monologues, the ridiculous <laughs> monologues that Rick Ford has to say, yes. uh, was there a sense of going out in the limb a little bit, maybe, making sure he would find the right tone for those? Um, no, he was great. I mean, I, I, he got a little nervous, I think, right before he kind of signed on to the movie, but I had you know, told him, like, look, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I can't say I'm not going to make you look dumb because the Rick Ford character comes off a little dumb, but, but, but we're going to play it dead straight. It's not going to be sort of like wink and nod and all kinds of goofiness. Yeah. And, um, but no, he he just committed to it, and our first little rehearsal we had months in advance. I, did, I bring everybody in just kind of read this stuff so I can hear if they're in character and if I need to adjust the script or change the character for them. And he came in and just read through all the scenes, and it was so funny. I said, okay, we're done. Like, just leave. Don't look at the script again ever again. <laughs> You're perfect. Because he plays it dead straight, and that's what makes, makes it so funny. And uh, are you a laugher? Yes, I'm, I'm terrible. I... I I ruined so many takes. Uh, it, sometimes I think people can't hear me, and then Melissa's like, Paul, I can completely hear you laughing. He's <laughs> like, I know, I know. But I have to say, Statham got me really badly on this, because I think it was just, I couldn't believe he was saying the things he was saying. And as he would say crazy things, we would just be writing even dumber things, because we're like, <laughs> there's no way he'll say this. And then we'd say, and then he would laugh, and then he would say it, and he would commit so hardcore that, I mean, there was moments where I literally thought I was going to die. I was laughing so hard. Mm. He has a few speeches, some that didn't even make it in the movie, that are alts that are on the DVD, that oh, wow. you will very much laugh. And uh, and obviously the movie is Melissa's movie. Um, she is the, what, the, the De Niro to your Scorsese? The Bruce you know, Campbell to your Sam Raimi? Yes, it's becoming that way, I know. It, it, we, it's we never kind of set out to say, like, oh, we're doing the next one together. It's like, this one I didn't even write for her because yeah. I didn't think she was available. Uh, she was busy doing her, you know, Mike and Molly, her TV show, yeah. and I was going to try to shoot it in the fall. So I wrote it kind of with just one of my funny, you know, women in mind. Uh, but then when she heard about it and read it, she was like, I have to do this. So I ended up pushing off, um, you know, production for, for about, like, you know, a number of months so she could do it. But, you know, I was thrilled. Now I can't imagine anybody else in the role. Yeah. Last time we spoke, you hadn't seen Kingsman. Uh, yeah, I finally saw Kingsman. It's Kingsman. great. It's, yeah. it's one of those movies I look at and go like, how did I not write that? I mean, it's like all the bespoke <laughs> suiting and the martinis and the stuff. I'm like, that's, man, that's me. Come on. There must be elements of that film that's like porn to you. I oh, my, it, it totally is. I mean, that's what the world I, I, in which I live. I was actually just at Anderson and Shepard before I came here. <laughs> you know, but there was, there was no, you know, grenades in the back oh, that well, I'm aware of. Yeah, like you, well, pull the levers and see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So when you go, pop into the... <laughs> they say, sir, stop, stop playing with the hooks. Change room three, Mr. Day, Mr. Mr. Feig, is it? <laughs> um, but have you met Matthew Vaughn? Because he's a similarly uh, no. elegant director. Uh, he has to be. Yeah. I mean, with that the sense of style that he had for that. But no, I'm such a huge fan of Matthew Vaughn's. I think he's one of the best best directors out there. I mean, I you know I loved Layer Cake, but then when I saw Kick Ass, I was just so blown away mm. by that. And then you know, Kingsman's awesome. Mm. There seems to be something in the in the water 
I guess, because there's a lot of uh, action, spy action comedies out this year. Uh, Kingsman, yourself. Yeah, it's weird. And then then, then legitimate spy ones, too. And it's, yeah. (laughs) Well, you know what it is? I think, I honestly think it's it's all the children of Skyfall. Because if you look at kind of sort of the timeline, because for me, you know, it was after I saw uh, the first Casino Royale, you know, with with Daniel Craig, Mm -hmm. where I really went like, oh, man, I got to do one of those movies. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, got busy with other things. And so when we were in post-production on The Heat, that's when Skyfall came out and did so well. And it was just like it reawoke that thing in me go like, oh, shoot, yeah, I want to make, make one of those. And that's where I got the idea. But I, I think, honestly, I think everybody went, oh, let's make, let's make a James Bond movie. <laughs> one of the lessons I learned on The Heat, which did really well domestically but didn't do very well internationally, oh, okay. was I think it was just, it was very talky. There was a lot of dialogue in it, and so much of the comedy was based on, on, the, on the dialogue. And I found out from one reporter in Germany, I said, like, why didn't we do better here? And he said, well, the translation wasn't good. He said they sort of didn't translate the jokes. And so all you're left with is this sort of middling cop cop drama, I guess, which would be <laughs> the worst possible way to watch the heat. Um, they thought but, it was just a remake of Heat. Yeah, 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 exactly. He's like, hey, what, that's not Robert De Niro. <laughs> uh, um, but so, so basically I kind of thought, well, I, wanna, I want to my comedy to travel internationally as well and so just basically saying like look the more physical it is and the more things it has that aren't language dependent will help that uh-huh. uh and so far it's been great i mean we're we were like the number one movie in south korea last weekend and in taiwan so so it's exciting because i want comedy to travel internationally i want these comedy stars to be internationally known and especially you know these female stars that I'm working with because that's always been the the whole Hollywood's excuse for not starring more women in in movies because well they don't sell internationally so it's like mm. well we can change that and make these actresses popular internationally then you know we're breaking down the wall how does the project um get into pole position for you in terms of the things you're working on because you I imagine you like most directors, you always have a number of projects fine for your attention at, at any one time. Yeah. I mean, we just I develop a bunch of stuff, you know, with my company now. Uh, but it, it always comes kind of apparent to me which ones I want to do just because I get a, a blast of e- excitement for them. And, um, you know, when we were in post-production on The Heat is when I came up with the idea for Spy. And it was just like, I have to do this next. And so it kind of yeah. pushed all these other smaller projects I had in development out of the way. And then with Ghostbusters, which I'm about to do, that just popped up. And they kind of, you know, they wanted it to go as soon as possible. And so I, I like a runaway freight train. That's my favorite thing <laughs> in the world. Because otherwise, movies usually get mired in development forever. But if somebody's like, we need this now, it's like, I'm like, great. I mean, the, the heat, literally, I, I found that script and signed on to it eight weeks before we started shooting the movie because oh Melissa's God. schedule was so tight. Right. But it's great because then you just get a fly-in. Comedy, you got, comedy has to be well thought out, but at the same time, then it needs a freshness and it needs to kind of have this life that comes from like get there and like, okay, let's try this, let's try that. Yeah. And if you develop too long, you get so set in, you know, you fall in love with everything. And you're an advocate of test screenings as well, aren't you? Huge advocate of yeah. test screenings, yeah. That, that's the only way I can put a comedy together because, you know, my editor and I, we can sit in the room all day and go like, oh, this is really funny put in front of an audience, like, the things I think are going to destroy will suddenly get nothing, and then something I go like, I don't even know if this is funny, it gets the biggest <laughs> laugh in the world. So I only know what's funny. To, I know what I think could be funny, and so getting to the set, that's why I do so many alts and improvs and let people weigh in, because I don't know at the end of the day. You know, I, I 
think I know, but nobody knows. I I know you're probably sick of hearing questions about the next movie that you're doing, Mm. but in terms of test screening, something like Ghostbusters, where the world and his wife is trying to get information on this movie, and the minute you screen it to someone, someone somewhere is going to go, I know how it ends. Yeah, exactly. How do you do that? Well, I mean, it's going to be tough because I have to test screen it. There's no way I can't. But people have gotten very good now about that, though. It used to be when, like, Ain't It Cool News first started up that any test screening got reported all over the place. And then there just seemed to be sort of like, I don't know, an armistice happened. Everybody just decided kind of like, let's not do that. And and also now studios, you know, make you sign these these NDAs, (laughs) non-disclosure agreements, you know, which which people seem to take seriously because I guess they can find you. But people have been pretty respectful. But again, Ghostbusters is going to be tough. But, and I know the studio's already kind of saying, I don't know if we can do this. Like, guys, we're not, I'm not putting out a movie that I can't test screen because, you know, you don't want your first test screening to be the premiere. Because then you sit there like, uh oh, well, that didn't work. You know, and we just put millions of dollars in these effects, and and this scene isn't funny. But imagine if you did. Wouldn't that be great? I mean, just an avant garde, four hour long, just rough cut, (laughs) giant (laughs) giant director's cut. The studio would be thrilled. Unfinished effects and just, yeah, yeah, exactly. Lots of alts. That'd be amazing. Yes, exactly. I'm not saying you should do it. I'm just, I'm just putting it out there. Well, it could happen. You never know. <laughs> I think I just have to have amnesia gas, and so we'll do the screening. Everybody will react as they do, and then we just tell them it didn't happen. Uh, where, where are you on that? You about to start? Start shooting in three weeks. Oh God. Yes, I know. Right. So, I, I woke up in, in a cold sweat two days ago. <laughs> like, oh my God, it's going to start. But I'm excited. I mean, you know, those those four ladies that I have starring in it are so funny, and so you know that's half the battle. So you go like, look, I'm going into battle with the best army I have and in my whole uh, that I can get and my, my whole crew from all of my other movies have come on aboard and, and then I've got you know some great special effects people have come aboard because I haven't really done this level of effects before mm-hmm. uh, we're excited we're, I'm, I'm excited about it you know it, it's look, it's always a risk but every movie you make is a risk this just happens to be one that is toying with everyone's childhoods apparently <laughs> <laughs> I'm ruining childhoods I, I just got angry things today on Twitter every no day way. I get really? oh yeah every day they come in they come in but it's Based, based on what though? Just the very fact that you're doing it with with ladies is that? Oh yeah, which is a probably an indelicate way of phrasing it. But there you uh, go. Wait here, I'll, I'll even I'll call up uh, I'll call up the, the recent one that I got. It's like was, mean tweets with Jimmy Kimmel live on. Yeah, the, exactly. Live on the nothing funnier podcast. than that. I'm telling you. <laughs> yeah. um, no, it's just people who who just have I don't know. They have some. It means a lot to people, and I get that. And you know, there's some some things that come in that are just misogynistic and, and terrible. And you go like, okay, what? Those are just assholes. But then there's other ones that people, you know, they're just worried. And so a lot of people are mad at me because it's a reboot. Mm. Uh, but I don't know how to do it any, any other way because it's been 25 years since the last one. Harold's gone. Bill doesn't want to do it. And I love Dan and Ernie, but it just feels like people had written those scripts and they. They were fine, but it just it felt sweaty to me. It just felt mm. like like a wheel was off the cart, and I was like, well, why don't we why don't we go into um this and reinvent it so we can go into a world that doesn't have ghosts and we can see the origin. I love origin stories. That's yeah. why I love you know spy the creation of a, of a spy. And this like, I want to see them come up with the tech, and I want to see them you know seeing a ghost for the first time as opposed to like oh yeah you know all these years ago there was a ghost attack on New York. 
I don't know. It, it, just for me, it, it was hard. Oh, here, here, here's, here's, here's the one I got today. Paul Feig, I literally pl- pray you get the flu or some other mild cold before you cold before you get to ruin the Ghostbusters legacy. <laughs> That's not so bad. I know. So, it, it, it was actually yeah. kind of funny. It made me laugh. Yeah. I hope that you're out for maybe a day, maybe two days. Yeah, exactly. You have a bit you of know. a sniffle. Then you come back all the stronger. You know. <laughs> That's okay. You know. Yeah. It's not like saying I hope you go off a cliff or something. Well, we've had yeah. those too. Right when I first got. Uh, <laughs> There was one guy that wanted Katie Dippled and I to die under a truck. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. So I, okay. What do you do? Do you block these people? No, I don't. I don't. I find it amusing. <laughs> Not amusing. I don't want to think like, oh, I, I think it's good to know uh-huh. everything. You, I think you need to know who's against stuff, what their issue is. You know, if it's just misogynistic bullshit, then so be it. But, you know, some people will, yeah, will have something of musical like, oh, okay, maybe I should be aware that that could upset somebody. I don't know. I, I like... Social media and the internet are there. They're part of our lives, so you got to use it, you know. Mm. And it's and it's it's good to hear everybody's opinion, even though sometimes it's really, really <laughs> annoying and difficult. Uh, well, the last thing before I let you go um, again, this is going to be another movie with Melissa, the the Cary Grant to your Alfred Hitchcock. Yes, there you go. I like that. That's <laughs> I'm good. running out. <laughs> Keep going, man. Keep going. Kurt Russell's your John Carpenter. There you go. Nice. <laughs> there we go. Uh, last time I spoke to you on this uh, about spying Ghostbusters, you said that you. This was before you announced the cast. Hmm. And I said, the world and his wife is expecting Melissa McCarthy to be in this film. <laughs> and you poker face. You said, uh, we'll see what happens. And then a week later, you confirmed she was in Well, no, but honestly, I did not. I I took months and months to kind of figure it out. And nobody was a shoo-in. There was yeah. no one that was a shoo-in. The only, I think the earliest shoo-in was actually Kate McKinnon. Because mm. uh, I had a meeting with her early. I've been a huge fan of hers. And she was so funny in this meeting that I was just like, okay, got to get her in. But everybody else was, you know what it was? It was like... It's not just getting the funniest people you know, but it's also getting four who are different enough that they intermix and match and don't compete with each other in, in a way. And so I had to get four kind of distinct people who were funny. And so, you know, look, I mean, obviously Melissa's always at the top of my list, but it wasn't like it was definitely going to happen. But, you know, then I felt very at peace with it when it did happen. And then yeah. getting Kristen was just, you know, I, I, I miss working with Kristen. So mm-hmm. and, and Melissa and, and Kristen are so excited to be working with each other again. That's going to be amazing. Be fun. I wish you all the best, sir. Thank you so much. I hope I don't get a cold before this thing starts. <laughs> well, this this room is so cold, you might get a cold. Oh no! You <laughs> wrote that tweet. <laughs> I knew it. Yes, I am. I am Paul Feig. Must not direct Ghostbusters. That's nah, Paul Feig. There he be. is. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank Evil. you so much for coming in. Thanks, Chris. Thank Cheers. Lovely guy. And we're going to start the reviews section with Spy. Spy is a movie about spies. Here are some spies that are in this movie. There's Jude Law. He's a spy. Mm-hmm. Right. Jason Statham. Guess what? Spy. Correct. Amazing. Not a spy. Mm-hmm. Is Melissa McCarthy's Susan, who's actually a desk jockey. Probably somebody who does most of the quote-unquote spy work. She's the person who's in Jude Law's ear, so to speak. Oh, like Ant-Man. Like Ant-Man, yes. Or Antenna Man, insofar as that there's a little radio link-up, and she's saying, Don't go left. There's a man with a gun. Go right. There's a man turning around. Oh, hit him. Yeah, go Jude. Uh, of course, he's got a character name, and it's not Jude, but they work as a team as he goes in the James Bondy type of, uh, you know, look in a tuxedo, getting people, mm. finding bombs, and then at one point accidentally sneezing and shooting someone in the head. Very humorous. It's in the trailer. I'm not giving anything away. But it's a very heightened, fun, silly world of CIA-type agents, which for some reason has plenty of English people. We've got <laughs> Miranda in there. Mm-hmm. She is just part of the CIA, so that's great. 
And uh, obviously Jason Statham, who, God bless him, doesn't try to do an American accent like he has tried to before. We have all these different spies in this world. Susan, for a reason that I won't explain enough to watch the movie, becomes the only person who can go after this big bad villain who's trying to sell the bomb, this big bomb. The big bad villain of this picture is Rose Byrne, who mm -hmm. uh, is a elegantly coiffured, long dress wearing... Some men just want to watch the Rose Byrne. Sorry, I just wanted to do that. That was great. Okay. Uh, was it? Yeah, it was a thing. Wasn't. Was, uh, yeah. So yeah, so she's the big bad, and she's fucking great. Uh, if you'll pardon the expression, as is Jason hey, Statham, who let's is keep this PG thirteen fella flipping great. It's sad that I called Rose Byrne fucking great, and Jason Statham flipping great. Yeah, I did warn you about your language, and you did it again. Uh, I thought Two I could F sneak it in. I thought I could. So there is a long, actually quite involved caper that sees them go around the world and get into scrapes. It's this desk bound desk jockey becoming. Melissa McCarthy here becoming more of a confident, kick-ass, trained agent. She was always quite good at, at punching people and accidentally kicking people in the face. And now she's getting a chance to use those skills. Mm. So there's an arc there. There's fun. Mm. You see someone become this from go from a mouse to this massive lion. There's improv that works. It's a little bit rough around the edges, I would say. Sometimes uh, certain lines you go, okay, you've kept that in. That's absolutely <laughs> fine. Uh, keep on rolling because there's another joke coming. Uh, and... Jason Statham's on screen and you're going nuts because yeah. he plays this hyper-violent, really aggressive, <laughs> absolute asshole, but still a lovable one, well, who, who essentially quits his job because Susan, this character, gets the chance to be a field agent. Yeah. He goes, fuck you guys, swore again. Oh, and tries to go and do the mission himself off-grid. Yeah, but the, the, the joke with Statham's character in this film is that he thinks he's James Bond, but he's actually Inspector Clouseau. And he's he's completely incompetent, uh, but he thinks he's the greatest secret agent in the world. And that constant undercutting and undermining of the the state's action hero persona is an absolute joy. He is amazing, and the film doesn't use him that much. It deploys mm. him in little nuggets, little statey nuggets. We watched this together, again. and we I did. said to you, "This needed more Jason Statham." And you argued with me. I think it's the right amount. It had just the right amount. Yeah. He, he needs to be used as "quote unquote" the secret weapon. Mm. But, you know, we talked about this earlier, but mm. I interviewed him for this film for a video junket and I said as my first question, how does it feel to be called some kind of comedy secret weapon when you've been funny forever? Mm. Crank, Lockstock, Snatch, you know, he is a very funny guy, very dry sense of humour. He's fully aware of how preposterous his, his persona is, Expendables plays with it. Yeah. But he is great in this film. Like, mm. he is great. Everyone's talking about how good he is, but that doesn't mean Melissa McCarthy isn't anything other no. than yeah. excellent. Well, I'll tell you what I love about her yeah. is that, okay, I'm a huge Gilmore Girls fan, um, which is a big recommendation to anyone out there. It's honestly awesome. Don't be put off by the title. Um, she plays a really, really nice person in that. Now, she's a bit, you know, she can be a bit clumsy and bumbling in that as well, but she's genuinely like the loveliest person and the laughs come out of her being lovely. And what we've seen from her on the big screen so far has been laughs coming out of her being awful. Yeah. Crude and crude. Crude, maybe, or rude. Or, I mean, Tammy, you know, she said you know, the, the character was deeply depressed, which is true, but she was also kind of awful. You know, so we haven't seen that side of her on the big screen. And it is so good to actually see her being good at stuff on the big screen and, and a decent person, Agreed. which is much closer to what she is. Agreed. Know? And uh, Feig and I talked a little bit about that as well, but yeah, and <laughs> he even recognised that she'd almost been typecast by two of his films. Yeah. And um, But Mike and Molly, for example, which is you know not the greatest sitcom in the world, yeah, but on that. that she plays an incredibly sweet, uh, very likeable character. And she's she's fantastic. She's a great, great actress. And she really anchors this. She's an, 
I'd imagine virtually every scene. I'd say pretty much every scene. Eighty percent of the film. Yeah, and it's it's wonderful watching her letting other people shine at the same time. You know, while at the same time as she as she grows and becomes more. I'm not going to say that that classic Melissa McCarthy character, but she doesn't. She becomes more abrasive and more confident, mm. and that's an absolute joy. But for me, and I said this to Fig again in the interview, was because um, we we know uh, as fans of the state that he is a very funny guy. And we know that this person could be funny as well because she's been in great movies as well. She was in Bridesmaids. But for me, the, the movie's real secret weapon is Rose Byrne, who is unbelievably funny in this. Uh, would you say fucking? I, I, I would, but then I would have to beep myself. So I'll try. I, she's beeping fucking funny. Oh, oh damn Chris. it. She's great. Uh, I think everyone's really, really funny in this film. Uh, I, for me, this is the funniest film of the year so far. Uh, it, it it's You're right. It's, it's a bit wild. It's a bit uneven. But it absolutely works for me um not only as a raucous raunchy uh <laughs> comedy in the in the same vein as sort of kingsman in in that this is doing what bond cannot do saying the stuff that bond cannot do um pro- projectile vomiting where bond cannot projectile vomit it's yeah it's weird there, there are two sort of secret agent spoof movies this year that both have a character projectile vomiting at a side of violence which so <laughs> which is interesting but it also works on its own terms, it actually gets dots all the I's and crosses all the T's and makes sure that all the spy stuff and all the action stuff actually kind of works in its own merit as well. Yeah, it's a funny film because we sat down to watch it with no real expectations, really. There were people in the office mm. who'd said, you know what, it's actually really good. And there were people in the office who said, you know what, this is terrible. I think it's one, it can be, and I know this is an odd thing to say in a review, and I've done it before and people have called me on it, but this may not be for you. And uh, <laughs> that's about as vague as you could get. But mm. I think some people might not like it, as we've discovered, and some people walk away like we did with mm. limited expectations and just went, wow, where did yeah. that come from? I like these guys. I think these guys work really well together. Yeah. I, I, I liked Bridesmaids a lot. I really liked The Heat, which I didn't expect, and mm. I really like this one as well. And yeah, bring on Ghostbusters. That's all I'm going to say. We gave uh, Spy four stars. Four English stars for Spy. Uh, out this week also, we have the third chapter in... Lee Winnell and formerly James Wan's uh, franchise, Insidious. Mm. It's called Insidious Chapter 3. Lee Winnell steps up to the megaphone as the writer and director of this one after James Wan moved on to, you know, pastures, fasters, fasters new. So, Helen. Yeah, so this is, it is Chapter 3, but it is also a prequel. Uh, This is the story of, um, you may remember Lynn Shays and Lee's from the first two films. Yes. Uh, Sadly, no longer with us. Yes. Spoiler. Yes. Uh, so a prequel was the only way to bring her back because, you know, she's awesome. Um, so what they've done is basically sort of had her first kind of encounter, I guess, um, with with what, we, what we've already seen, uh, with the further, essentially. Yes. So this is her um, going to help uh, the, the Brenner family. So not the Lambert, forget them. They're, They're gone. gone. They're, They're no, out, out of the, the way. picture. Yeah. Uh, this is a teenage girl called Quinn, uh, played by... Uh, Stephanie Scott, uh, daughter of Dermot Mulroney's character, and she basically is having very, very uh, dangerous visions and, and and possession, and you know the whole the whole supernatural nine yards, uh, <laughs> except for Sam and Dean aren't there to help. Oh. So I'm sorry. Uh, so uh, Lise comes in rather reluctantly to try and use her ability to contact the dead to to help this young girl, um, and starts having these visions when she gets to the house, which she thinks are about the girls deceased mother 
Uh, but they are not. They are something dark. <laughs> Just thought I'd get a bit of atmosphere going in there. Is it Quentin Letts? <laughs> it is not. And can we stop libeling the poor man, please? So yeah, so that's basically the 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 setup here. There's a a really unnerving kind of uh, spirit here. The man who can't breathe, unpleasant, obviously, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, a little bit a little bit worrisome. Um, and there's but and it's basically just another good installment of the of the franchise. I think you've you've still got a little bit of kind of humor there, as you mm-hmm. would expect from Winnell and and you know James Wan because his spirit remains. Um, <laughs> trapped in a glass. <laughs> yes, but there is that. There is the the genuine dread and and scariness as well. Yeah. Um, although, in fairness, like just to put that in context, like I'm scared by everything. So, you know, it may not scare you if you're really tough and and you know very very immune to horror. But for me, it was scary. Mm. Um, so we give this three stars. Three stars. I'm a big fan of the first two films. Um, but this are, is yeah. the first film. <laughs> that's what that's what this makes is true. This. I'm a fan of the latter two films. It's like Fast yeah. and Furious insofar as that the first film in it is not the first film that you watch. Mm. Or is it? No, it is in Fast and Furious. It is Fast and Furious, the but the third film in it isn't the third film there we you go. watch. Yeah. Yeah. So this third film is not the third film you watch. It's I a, think when yeah. this gets box setified, there will be a note in the beginning <laughs> saying watch the third chapter first. It's not cheating. Yeah, you, uh, yeah. you can do that because some prequels actually suffer if you watch them first. You know, like if you watch the Star Wars prequels first and yeah. you're like, well, yeah, obviously he's Luke's father, duh. Yeah. Um, I haven't heard that name since I chopped off his legs and threw him into a volcano. Exactly. Uh, whereas this one, you could actually watch it first and it won't give away that kind of stuff. So it, it's it's quite a well-crafted prequel in that sense. So you could do 3-1-2 if you wanted. 3-1-2. Or you could do three, two, one. Or you could do bits of two and bits of one together and then you could like do a big insidious mega mix. But how awesome is it also that uh, Lynn Shay, who is in her 70s, is essentially the lead of this film. I think that's great. <laughs> she's great because she's fantastic. You know, you, you, you'll, you know Lynn Shay. If you, if you see Lynn Shay, you'll know who she is. She's uh, one of the Farley brothers' lucky charms. She's the, I believe, the sister of Bob Shay, who was the head of New Line. Uh, so, you know, she's always cropped up in, in New Line films uh, and she's just one of those great uh, 27 presenters and I think it's fantastic I love her work in this in this trilogy so yeah fantastic three stars uh, for Insidious Chapter 3 and uh, very very quickly this week also out we're going to discuss uh, uh, John Berman's return to the director's chair after a quite an absence uh, this is for Queen and Country which is his long awaited sequel to Hope and Glory a very autobiographical tale of um, his life. Hope and Glory, of course, was focused on his life during World War II. This is about his life in the army. Yeah, this is sort of national service post-war, mm. uh, basically, is is the kind of setting, I guess. So it's 1952, and uh, his kind of... It's not a, it's not strictly autobiographical. It's it's at least semi-autobiographical, I guess. And his sort of alter ego, who's, who's Bill, who's played by Callum Turner, um, is is in facing national service. He's going into the army with his best friend, Percy, who's played by Caleb Landry-Jones. And uh, basically, they're sort of less interested, I think it's fair to say, in the army than they are in the local girls. That's essentially, to the extent that there's a plot, that's essentially the plot. Um, there are almost kind of carry-on style schemes going on here um, in the sense of, you know, just getting out of the army base and getting to the girls and that kind of thing. You know, there, mm. there's a little bit of that sort of spirit about it. But it's just, it's a young man's story. 
you know, it's uh, it's it's full of the, you know, vigor of youth, if you will. Nicely sidestepped. <laughs> to put it delicately. Okay. So yeah. yeah, I mean, it's it's actually pretty hard to believe. This is made by an eighty-two-year-old, mm. um, which is which is extremely uh, impressive. So it's sort of, um, yeah, just pre pre Korean War. He was kind of there at the time and. And it's kind of amazing to, to think about it. But incredible supporting cast as well. You've got David Thewlis. David Thewlis. Thank you. Um, who is a tyrannical kind of sergeant major in this. Yes. Uh, you've got Richard E. Grant uh, as the major, uh, Major Cross. Tamsin Edgerton, Sinead Cusack. Uh, just really, really good people. Mm. Um, and as you'd expect, I mean, it's not quite as as vibrant as Hope and Glory was. I mean, if you ever get Ian Freer to talk talking about Hope and Glory, you'll be there for like a good couple of hours. Like it's <laughs> he loves that film so much. Um and this one is probably he it isn't going to be quite as, you know, as glorying in, if you will. But it's still very thoughtful, very funny and and just really kind of has that kind of glow of of memories and and nostalgia for for lost youth that is that is quite hard to resist actually. So we give this four stars. Four stars then for Queen and Country, a fine return to form for John Berman. Do not leave it so long next time, sir, because I believe there's one more part in the trilogy he has planned. Excellent. Which would be great to see. Also out this week, we have Electric Boogaloo, the wild untold story of Canon Films, uh, Gollum and Globus, those, uh, yeah, very, very interesting chaps who made a lot of very exploit, Tation-y, action-y movies in the 80s, the sort of stuff I binged on when I was uh, a <coughs> year old. And uh, yeah, so that's four stars for that one. We also have Listen Up Philip with stars Jason Schwartzman in a sort of literary tale about a man who leaves his girlfriend to spend time with a writer that he admires, and we gave that one two stars. And then we have Second Coming, which is a, a very interesting and ambitious British indie about a London mother who suddenly finds herself pregnant but with no father. And we've heard that one before, haven't we? That we have. Haven't. No. no, you've never heard that one before? Don't think so. Never heard that before? Sister Act 3. Oh, yeah. 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 Okay. Uh, and this is uh, starring, and I believe produced by uh, Idris Elba, written and directed by Debbie Tucker Green. We gave that one three stars. And that is well worth your time if you venture out to your indie multiplex this week. Uh, and that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. Uh, join us next week for more film-related fun. We'll be discussing Jurassic World and we'll also be joined by David Hasselhoff. <gasps> David Hasselhoff. The Hoff himself will be on the podcast. I can't believe it either. How on earth did we get him? Um, it's it's fun. It's a fun interview. So as you might expect, the Hoff goes Hoff on one. Oh, and also, listen out as well. June 15th, our Jurassic World spoiler special. It is a belter uh, with Colin Trevorrow, the director of the film uh, he gave us a lot of his time and answered a lot of the film's big questions so that's going to be a cracker uh, until next Friday and the Jurassic World Sport Special it is goodbye from Ali well met and it's goodbye from Helen toodaloo and it's goodbye from me I'm off to Google Quentin Letts imagine my surprise when I discovered he was a writer for the Daily Mail see you next week <laughs>